And if people buy a ticket, come out to Flip Hacking Live, you'll get a 100% response rate every time uh, when you're dealing with lenders and, and, and people that have some money. Welcome to the House Flipping HQ podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of houses a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey everybody, welcome to the House Living HQ podcast. This is Bill Allen and I got a special treat for you today. Uh, recently, this guest has been on the podcast with me when we were just kind of going through the board of directors. So um, he came on, he told a story about how he got into real estate investing and what he looked like, what it looked like as a real estate agent. And uh, now I want to bring him back on because he's going to be one of our special guests at Flip Hacking Live. And most likely, this will probably be the last podcast that you listen to before Flip Hacking Live. We might be able to squeeze in one or two more, but right now, that's all I'm doing is working on that event right now, just focused on Flip Hacking Live and making sure that we bring the biggest value, the most impact on you guys as possible there in San Diego soon. So I want to welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Terry Berger. What's up, Terry? Hey, what's happening, Bill? Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm excited to talk to you today because you're doing some really cool stuff in your company that we haven't talked about on the podcast before. So um, I'm kind of excited to dig into that. We haven't even kind of jumped into that area. So before we get going, why don't you tell everybody a little, just a quick refresher about kind of who you are, what market you're in, and a little bit what your company looks like right now. Yeah, so uh, I'm in the Atlanta, Georgia market, or kind of the northern suburbs, and then we have a second market in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, kind of what our company looks like at this point, um, we kind of have all of our back office stuff happening out of Atlanta, and, but we do have a full team up in Greenville, rocking and rolling up there that pretty much mirrors our team here in Atlanta. Okay, so if I remember right, you, are you, you, you kind of wholesale, but do you close on everything that you guys put under contract? Yeah, I've got a real estate license, so for, uh, not that you have to do it this way, but we definitely, we flip mostly. I would say 90% of our business is flips and we will do the occasional wholetail where I'll take it down and do a quick cleanup on it and then throw it right back on the MLS. Okay, cool. So you do that in Greenville, South Carolina also. So uh, virtually from Atlanta. Yeah, we started. So here's my thing. I love to take something old and make it new and create a legacy and uh, whatever houses we build, right? So this piece of junk that we just bought you know, we, we, we like to transform it and make it nice for the next 30 to 50 years. Somebody takes good care of it. It lasts longer than I, I do, right? And so, um, so at Greenville, we were wholetailing everything and it was driving me crazy not to go in and renovate them. And so uh, being in, you know, two and a half hours away, it was really hard to find good contractors. There's this huge labor shortage in Greenville. So we just decided to take a leap of faith. We added our first W-2 employee, uh, project manager in Greenville uh, with the goal of doing at least 30 to 40 flips up there. And so he's just going to run the whole, the whole operation up there for me. Okay. I want to talk about that a little bit because yeah, most of you guys know, I, so I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and we, we are in Nashville, Chattanooga, and Pensacola, Florida. And we do almost all of our flipping down in Pensacola, Florida. I know the market really well. I have a partner down there who does uh, the majority of the kind of project management. So I know I can trust him. The product is good. Um, all that stuff kind of happens without me being there because I live in Nashville. And that's a, that's a six hour drive plus depending on, you know, traffic and everything. So, and then in Nashville and Chattanooga, we pretty much wholesale everything instead of fixing it up. Well, if we buy anything, we might buy it, clean it up and put it back on the MLS like you're talking about um, to kind of cherry pick some of those deals. But like, tell, take me through that process. Like, what was it like? Who were you looking for? And uh, how's it going? Yeah. So what's interesting is my project manager from Atlanta came up and I was basically going to have him just kind of be the senior project manager, right? He oversees Greenville, oversees Atlanta, still does his thing in Atlanta. Well, he's slammed here and doesn't really ha have the bandwidth necessarily to, to do that job right up there, in my opinion. So what we did is he, uh, Oleg, our project manager, and I went up for three days and we went to Home Depot early in the morning. We drove streets. We met crews. We met GCs. And we're trying to find leads, basically, of people that we can hire to do these jobs while we're remotely here in Atlanta. And then, you know, either myself or Oleg would drive up and check on these projects. Well, neither one of us had the time to do that. So 
so on the way home, I had this bright idea. I'm like, well, why don't I just, why don't I just put an ad out in WiseHire for basically a builder or a general contractor to come on as a W-2 employee? So I'll tell you, Bill, real quick, our builder, so we build new construction here in Atlanta, is not the same as our project manager. So our project manager is great at renovating what's existing. He's not great at building. Our builder doesn't like to renovate and he's incredible at building, right? So I've got these two guys. Well, the guy that, um, that is building for us right now, you know, I found out how these big builders like DR Horton or Pulte pay their guys. And so they get paid halfway decent, maybe sixty, seventy thousand dollars to be a, a builder or a senior builder in their in their communities. But they wear these guys out. I mean, they're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, right? And so our whole kind of hook was, you know, why don't you come work for us? You can make similar money, but you can have a life. So we want somebody who wants to work hard. But hey, if you want to, if you're tired of, of the grind that Pulte and Dr. Horton, these big builders, are putting you through, we've got a spot for you. And I've got the—I mean, I have a magical job description. Happy to share with anybody that we used on Wisehair. And so many of these builders, I hit a nerve, right? I hit their pain point. They call me, and they're like, "Your job description just spoke to me." I mean, and you're talking builders, right? They're pretty pragmatic guys. They're not super emotional most of the time. And so. Honestly, we had, I think, 30 to 40 applicants, and about half of those were licensed general contractors looking to onboard with a company like ours. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I thought it was just, hey, let's try this because we weren't having any luck, you know, going to Home Depot and shaking hands with people that had no idea who we were. So we were able to build rapport throughout the the, um, the interview process, and I, I could cherry pick from four licensed general contractors. One guy worked for uh, DR Horton. He had 40 projects going in three different communities and he was burned out, right? We ended up not choosing him, but he was perfectly capable. And the guy that we chose, I, I chose because he has got, I think, some future talent maybe as a COO someday. Okay. So you saw something in him that was even more than like the next step up from that project management job, whereas the other guy might, might be stuck there. Yeah, I did. I had my mind made up on the guy from Dr. Horton, to be honest with you. And then I sat down with this guy and he had, he didn't quite have all the experience to ramp up and just be immediate right now. But like you said, he had future experience that I thought we could use someday for sure. Yeah. If you, if you're coming to Flip Hacking Live, you're going to hear Nate, my COO and I talk about that a lot. We're going to talk about hiring and, and bringing on the right people and, and who and when and, and things like that. Cause we made an extra million bucks year over year, same number of deals, just different team. And we're going to talk about that. And, and one of the biggest keys that I found in that is hiring for kind of where you want to go, not necessarily where you are. So bringing in people that you can groom and develop to move up to mid-level, upper-level management in a company that's small, like a startup that we have. I mean, we're a small company. We're you know anywhere from 12 to 15 people. And that's pretty big. And at least in our space, like in our mastermind group, uh, most people are somewhere around six to eight, maybe 10 and, and other people, two to three people. So um, I think that's really important when you're, when you're looking is to not look at what you need right now, but what could this person potentially develop into if they can, obviously in, in this case, as long as they can hold that position right now too, they have to be oh, yeah. able to, to fulfill the job description today. Absolutely. So that's exciting. That's really pretty wild. So I think, I think that's probably, I don't know if we can pull out a better golden nugget than that on this podcast, this would be great. But I mean, all the time we always go down to, like you're saying, we shake hands with people, we meet them, we, we try to get referrals, we do all that stuff. But what we're doing there is we're almost like, it's just like cold traffic, right? There's no time to warm up to each other. So you have to immediately start to try to build rapport and build a relationship based on what you see or what they're talking about on a surface level. In the case where you put out a job description, a lot of those people that are filling out the the you know the application and filling, putting their resumes up they're already looking at your company they're going to your website they're doing some of that research and your your company is talking to them and is speaking to them about your core values who you are probably the videos that you guys have and the brand recognition that you have on your website they're starting to see some of that and getting more excited so that job description should pull them in whereas when you walk up to somebody it's really a lot of you know uh, surface level stuff like right right there what does this guy look like? Does he have any money? Does it, yeah. you know, is he going to be able to pay me? And then you're looking at the other guy going, hey, what's he got in his basket? Is this the right guy that, you know, that I want to hire? Why is he here at 10 o'clock getting more, 
more items? Is he the best fit for the job? And then, you know, you, tr you have to try one out typically with those guys, let them fall on their face, do a crappy job for you, potentially lose a bunch of profit that you would have made if it was the right person instead of just, you know, putting the ad out and looking for those 30 or 40, like big time players that can really help you. Well, yeah. And if you've got a scaled business, right, you're going to pay a GC 10 to 15% cost plus 10 to 15% at least. Right. And so when I ran the numbers, you know, we have to do 30 to 40 deals up there to make, make it where he, it's a, it's a bargain for the company to have him. But the other thing is too, like this guy's ours. Like we put it in the operating agreement that he only works for us. He can't do any side jobs unless they're approved through the company. And I mean, and he's our eyes and our ears, our advocate and building the trade base. I mean, so, you know, I, I, it's a win-win for sure. Um, and, and a confidence booster for me, right? Because now I got, I mean, he was a custom home builder. He worked for Pulte. He's got 10 years in the technology sector. So there's a lot of skills that he brings to the table. Um, and, and if I can just teach him the way I do it, then I can let, not let it go on autopilot because I'm never going to do that. But I, I don't have to stress about it from Atlanta. He's got it. So how long ago was this that you hired him? Uh, it was about a, mm, about two weeks ago. Okay. So is he starting to work on projects yet? Or are you guys, is he still building his base right now? And you guys are starting to pick off the projects that you want to do? Yeah. So we, when he was hired, we had three projects that we owned that were just sitting there waiting for him. So he had an instant start. And so the biggest challenge that he has out of the gate is, you know, developing a trade base big enough to do three projects at the same time. Um, and, and that is a big challenge in that particular market. Like Atlanta has a labor shortage. Charlotte has a labor, labor shortage. Greenville has this sick labor shortage because a lot of people come from Charlotte and Atlanta. But like it's, it's really a, a weird, there's not a lot of skilled people in that market already to do the job. So it's just a weird market from a labor perspective. And you're going to put the other custom home builders out of business. So he's going to yank them all off those projects. And yeah, and the, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he's going to do. And, uh, and then he builds, he's going to be able to build new construction for us too, which helps. Yeah. So those three projects, are they all about the same scope, like the same type of project with the same scope? So you need the same subs around the same time. You know, I find when I have three projects like that, if they're back to back to back, you've got, you know, that's the, that's the trouble you get into. You almost need like two or three teams uh, to finish those projects as opposed to when you got them spaced out like a month apart, you can move the subs from project to project. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, he's going to have to develop multiple crews. I and mean, we have the goal. I mean, if you're going to do 30 to 40, right, you've got to have probably five, six in some state going at the same time, right? Yep. So I think it's good that we owned three when he started because he has to jump in and get it done. Yeah. So. And you, you'll quickly be able to see how he's doing if he sinks or swims. And then you can decide, you know, for a lot of these people, when, when we hire them, we let them go six months, nine months, a year before we make that decision to kind of pull the plug as opposed to, you know, hey, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. A lot of these are get in there, go. And, um, and the, the cool thing is, yeah, I, I hope that he does a great job, but when you get to that point, you got 30 or 40 applicants from this and you're not just meeting that one guy in Home Depot or Lowe's that you're like, Hey, this is probably the guy. Let's try him out. And then we're back up in Greenville for another three days trying to do it again. Oh yeah, totally. I definitely have backups for sure. I mean, it's uh, at least four deep. Yep. And, and I recommend that to anybody who's hiring, you know, and even if you're running a company right now, who knows what's going to happen to your staff, to your people, to, uh, you know, the whole system, you know, constantly be recruiting and, you know, building that kind of backup, that bench, that, um, that group of people that can help you in the, in the future. We've got a database full of people that we can go pluck from or run profiles around to see if, you know, uh, who's the next up, right. When somebody mm -hmm. goes down. So, got um, your bench. Yeah. Let's, Hey, so you mentioned new construction a couple of times. So, uh, and you said something about your builder in Atlanta being different than your project manager in Atlanta, mm -hmm. because they kind of like, like to do different things. They have different skill sets. I'm assuming those are kind of different, different subs or different kind of contractors that want to work on those properties. You got the people that want to do the renovations and then you got the people that really just love new construction because it's on a timeline. It's very scheduled. Yeah. It's kind of easier than what, what am I going to find today? Yep. For sure. Yeah. So Charlie, our builder, he, uh, he was the senior builder for a company here in Atlanta that did 400 houses a year. So he knows how to do things on a, a high level and lots of volume. The guy built a house in a outdoor environment in like 21 days and created that process for his company. It was wild. And so what's cool about him is when he went out on his own, 
uh, he now builds spec houses for investors like me. I mean, we're doing three with him right now, but he's got other investors doing two or three. And so, I mean, he's able to build nine, 10, 20 houses at a time because he's, he's got a bunch of different investors, right? And so, um, and our project manager is a completely different guy here in Atlanta, um, mainly because of circumstance for the most part. If I had to do it all over again, like I would do it like I did in Greenville where I, I had a guy who could renovate and can build at the same time. But the cool thing about our, the builder here, and, and if you can make this relationship in whatever market you're in, this guy had his sub base wrapped around his finger. They love this guy. And so Charlie, he comes in, he builds for me. I get the same pricing that this big company got because mm -hmm. Charlie kept the subs and promised to kind of keep those subs working. And so even though Charlie charge, charges me cost plus, you know, 15%, it's still a bargain because he's got these subs that were working with this other company building 400 houses a year at scale and volume. You know, I'm getting not that I'm not getting the same pricing, but I am getting a heavily discounted price from a lot of people. So I couldn't hire another builder and have him build a product for me. Any, any, uh, when I say not cheap, but less expensive. Well, I hope Charlie doesn't listen to this podcast because he might be raising your prices. So, Oh, well, he uh, knows. I mean, uh, and the cool thing about him, he's so ethical. He's like, yeah, man, I'm going to pass this on to you. That's my value add, right? That's his value add to investors. Makes him ir irreplaceable for you then. Absolutely. Yep. He's always going to know he's got jobs going on. So, so let's say I'm a, uh, I'm so look, I'm going to take advantage of this, right? Because we don't do this. So I'm going to get a little selfish here. I'm a new sure. investor, right? Or I'm investor. I'm a flipper right now. And I see all these other guys build new construction. It looks exciting, but I say, you know what? That's not really for me. I don't really know what that is. It seems overwhelming. It's daunting. I'm, I'm not sure if I can get into that. Um, what, like, what's the first step if I want to start building new construction in my market? I'm already a flipper. I already have this, a lot of relationships. Like, where do I go to look for somebody like Charlie? Okay. Well, I think the first step is uh, the little secret hack here is that wholesalers don't know what to do with vacant land, right? Can we agree on that? I mean, you wholesale a lot. When you come across a lot, um, unless you have a builder database built up, you don't know what to do with that property. And so a lot of times we're picking up these wholesale lots at a fraction of the price that they would go for on the open market because the wholesaler's got to move that deal in two weeks, four weeks, whatever it happens to be. And I'm the only guy in the room raising my hand saying, I'll buy it. And so, um, so that's, that's one of the secret hacks about what we do. And so like, for example, the, how, the lots that we buy, let's take a 70s neighborhood, right? One of the houses we bought uh, was a burnout. It burned to the ground. The guy got his insurance policy. He just wants to un unload the lot because he's, he's done with all that, right? So we buy that lot at a super cheap price. Um, I think we paid 25000 for the lot. We sold the house for 300000 I mean, that's a sick difference. So you, when I, I say you make your money on new construction when you buy, it's totally true. Um, okay. So, and the other thing is, right, if you buy that burnout house or that empty developed, the lot that's been developed 40 years ago, it usually has sewer. It usually has water. So you don't have to pay for that extra stuff. And it's typically developed and graded, right? You might have to rip down the old house and move some things around, but the development cost is going to be fairly inexpensive uh, for those one-off lots. Now, from the builder's perspective, you know, so let's say you have the lot, you've got to go and build that relationship with that builder like Charlie, right? Find that guy that likes, doesn't necessarily like the retail customer, but likes building for you guys because he knows he's going to get six, seven, eight, nine, however many new construction a year from you. And if it's cost plus 15%, I mean, $200,000 guy's going to make 30 grand. Now he's got a lot of expenses in that 30 grand insurance, if he's paying a project manager, whatever he's got, right? But he's still making good money if you're going to give him 10 deals. And if he can get good discounted pricing at the same time, um, I mean, it's just a win-win for the investor. I'll tell you, Bill, like our most profitable deals are our new construction. Uh, we don't even, I mean, I, and I don't even hardly go in them. I have a designer pick out all the, all the colors. Um, when it's done, we market it. And I'll only go in it because I like to go in it. So, and I, other than two that I'm particularly attached to that we'll probably keep as some sort of Airbnb or rentals, uh, we're going to be, I bet you I haven't gone into any of our new construction more than a half dozen times, just because I'm curious, not because I have to. Okay. So you talked a little bit like going to look for that guy, Charlie, who is kind of burned out. Like, where do you find somebody like that? Like, uh, I would start with the Home Builders Association in your local area. 
you can join as an adjunct member typically or as a vendor. So like if we have house flipping businesses, we can join the, our local home, um, home builders association. That's one place to start. Second, uh, do the ad thing on WiseHire like I did. Take my job description, tailor it to your need and wait for those 30 guys to show up. I mean, we got 30 guys in a, in a mid-market like Chattanooga and Pensacola, right? It wasn't a Nashville big metro mm-hmm. like Atlanta or Nashville, right? It's a small market. And we got 30 guys. And 10 or 15 of those guys would, looked really good on paper. So I, I, that's where I would start. So you find that, find that builder. Maybe you buy a couple of lots if you have the bandwidth to even do that and get those lots in your, in your portfolio and just you say you're going to do it and just go do it. Yeah, I know some guys who specifically market to vacant land and they do some really exciting stuff in their marketing and just kind of send out contracts and get contracts back signed and yes. their phones ringing. It's really cool to watch them do that. And they're usually what they're doing is they, they then take that land and turn around and owner finance it to somebody on a land contract and collect fees per the month. But if you can take that land and like, we just had a house that um, was sitting on four lots, like it was large enough for four lots. So we're renovating the house right now, but we're going to split it up into multiple different lots. And what I'm thinking is obviously in this conversation is, do I, do I just sell the lot and take that as just, that's like found money, right? That's like money that I put in my pocket or do I go put a house on there? Do I build a house there and sell it? And you know, it all kind of, it's a little bit daunting. I'll tell you when you're, um, when you're, uh, a flipper and a wholesaler. And now you're thinking about going into new construction, which honestly, I, I'm interested to, to ask you how, what the timeline is and scope and mm-hmm. stuff like that is, but really it's kind of all scope, like planned out. You kind of know the start and finish date pretty much unless something mm-hmm. crazy happens, but um, you're, you're not finding any, like we always get delayed because we find just crazy stuff once we start tearing things out, right? And then yep. we got to get a different permit or we've got to get a different sub in there or we got to then stop and look for the right person to come help us with that, that issue. Um, so it's, it seems to me like almost when, when it looks like more risk, it might actually be less. So yeah, I think the biggest headache with a lot is um, the, the pre-build, right? You know, moving dirt around, grading it, whatever you have to do there, getting the county approvals and all that stuff. I mean, a, a lot of times, if you get something under contract, you can get a longer due diligence on land too. So, like for example, those three or four lots, found lots are uh, we love found lots, especially if you can buy a house that you're going to flip, right? And 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 a lot of people when they buy 20, 30 years ago, they would just buy the empty lot. And then they, they think of these, all these romantic notions of their kids running and, and playing soccer on it. Well, after the kids are gone, 20 years later, that lot's overgrown and, and they go to sell their house and you've got this extra piece of land with it. A lot of times you can get it for free or at heavy, heavy discount. I paid one, uh, the math on this house is probably going to be like this. So we paid $15,000 for this lot. $6,000 was a wholesale fee. So really the lot was 9,000 and the guy assignment fee was six. So 15 for the lot. We did probably six or seven thousand worth of development on that lot, so in for twenty-two, and we're going to sell that house for two sixty-five, um, and the construction on that house could be about one sixty, so one sixty for the sticks and bricks, and then uh, what I say twenty-two for the lot, so yep. I'm in at one eighty-seven, and I'm selling that house for two sixty-five. I mean that's a win. Yeah, that's awesome. So is that like what percentage of your uh, of the your revenue for the year comes from this kind of new construction area? I would say we're probably at 20%. I would love it to be more like 50, but we're at 20. I, I'm to the point now where I'm ready to take down a lollipop subdivision, you know, one street with a cul-de-sac on the end and build 20 houses. And what, what, what precipitated that is we had this lot that I bought, similar to what you were just describing. It had three extra lots with it. Well, I, the, county, the, the city let me split the lot into two lots. So now instead of building one house, I can now build two. And so I've just I've halved my lot cost. But the problem was, is the development took a long time because getting the city and the county to talk to each other was kind of a pain. It took six months. Well, I could have developed the subdivision in six months inside of our county. And, uh, and so th- that little, like that baby step of just doing the six months and getting really ticked off about it taking six months to split a simple lot has caused me now to not be afraid to go buy six or seven acres and run one street down it know I can get 15 houses on each side and run the math on that. I mean, once you do one or two, you know, you could do that. The, the betters, uh, Stephanie and Zach, they're, they're doing some new construction as well. And um, I mean, I think a lot of people are missing the boat for not doing it. Yeah, got, I agree. Got to find the right builder, of course. 
Yeah. It's, um, I, you know, I, I've spent some time talking to some of the bigger builders here in Nashville and, uh, at some of these meetups and some of the get togethers. In fact, I was having a, I think I was having like a, a yard sale and somebody came up and we started talking about real estate. Next thing I know, he's one of the biggest builders here in this area that I live. And I, so I was asking him, Hey, how'd you get into that? He's like, well, just, I used to renovate houses. We did a little wholesaling and then I started building a couple houses and then it was a couple more. And then next thing you know, I'm building these giant subdivisions and it just makes sense. And it's just kind of like this, you step up into the next level and it's really kind of what you're doing. It's funny. My grandfather um, is a founding family member of Streetsboro, Ohio. Grandpa Wilcox was his name. And, and Grandpa Wilcox was a, a home builder. And back in the 60s, 70s, and I guess uh, 60s and 70s when he built, he, they, I mean, he built the cabinets too, right? He just didn't hang the cabinets. He built the cabinet, the box and the whole thing. And so I remember him taking me around as a kid and I'm like, grandpa, show me the houses that you built and hundreds. I could go anywhere in Streetsboro, Ohio and grandpa built that house. He built that house. He built that house. And I don't know if all that stuff comes back to us later on down the road, but like to me, being able to take my kids down and say, yeah, dad did that subdivision. You know, I didn't necessarily build those houses, but I was a big driver behind it being built. Um, it's just cool stuff, you know, think about. Yeah. I'll tell you the coolest thing that he told me when I was talking to him was that he's, there's a subdivision named after his daughter. Mm, yep. And that is about the coolest thing that I could imagine. <laughs> you just, Hey, uh, yeah, that's, you, you see that subdivision right there. That's where you live. That's my name. Yeah. So, we named some floor plans after our kids and you can, you know, then you can name streets after your kids. It's really fun. Yeah. Sounds awesome. I yep. love it. Will Lane. So we'll That's see right. if you're yeah. taken yeah. care of. No All right. Doubt. So, so we talked about kind of what your company looks like a little bit about this new construction, finding people like one of the hardest things to do. And you mentioned wise hire. I just want to kind of go back to that because we may have glossed over it and what it is. It's a really great kind of online service that you can put up a job ad and it'll drive traffic. It'll put it out to lots of different jobs, uh, sites and sources. I think when I was using it, I think it was like $150 a month or something mm -hmm. to run it in a city and it'll blast out to kind of like indeed and, um, some of these different places. So, um, that's, we got some great candidates from that. It also will allow you to ask a few questions that they have to answer. And it did the disc test when, when I was doing it automatically. Yeah, it still, it. Yeah, still works that way. Mm -hmm. Good. So it's a great service. If you guys are kind of starting to hire that first person or second person, I, it, it does cost some money. So I know when I got going, it, I started kind of on Craigslist, but Craigslist was free then. Now it costs money right now to run ads on there too. So um, just kind of thinking about what you use. I use uh, Indeed pretty much exclusively now. Uh, we've gone to kind of that model. It's uh, I can kind of pay for how long I run my ad and things like that. And that seems to be where the, the best people at the higher level, you know, 50,000 and up that I find that I'm getting, but Wise Hire will uh, it looks like it blasted out to Indeed and some of those other sites too. Yeah, it does. I mean, in the biggest, like if you're, if you're hiring admin people or work from home or virtual people like that, uh, WiseHire just saves your, your email inbox from just getting inundated. And it, it's got a nice dashboard that you can organize everybody and you can move. Like, let's say we had one position that we had 800 applicants for, right? And I was determined I was going to go through all 800 resumes so I could build a bench, you know? And so we, we filled one position, but I had 20 that I saved for future positions, you know, and, but you can move them into different columns like the, these are qualified and you can delete people, but it, it's really fast. It, I like it cause I didn't get 800 emails. Yep. I totally agree. Those admin positions, there's, I mean, you'll get 10, 15, 20 people a day that are just mm -hmm. dropped. It's like, they're just resume dropping on you. So yeah. what I liked was it had a couple hoops to jump through and things like that, that I could just immediately weed people out if they're not following the rules and do jumping through all the hoops that I provided for them. So you guys can check that out. I mean, hiring, I think is a, a really big thing. We're talking about growing and scaling your business here and the best way to do that, the best possible system is the human capital. It's people. It's getting the right people, getting them in the right seat and making sure they're motivated to follow your vision along with where you're going. So, um, okay, well, let's shift gears a little bit. What are you going to talk about about Flip Packing Live? Are you going to talk about new construction? Are you going to talk about hiring or what? I'll talk about uh, what anybody wants me to talk about when they see me. But up on the presentation, I'm talking about raising private capital. And, okay. Uh, yeah, you were very instrumental in that for me. So I get to pass the torch a little bit. Well, uh, I think we, we worked on that and learned it together, right? So yeah. uh, I think the biggest thing it, when you're doing new construction and things like that comes that kind of financing aspect, that piece of, you know, 
even flipping, like, how do I raise enough money to, whether it's funding the draws in front of my hard money lender, or whether it's, I want to fund a project with other people's money at a hundred percent instead of a 90% purchase and then funding the draws. Mm -hmm. It's trying to figure out how to raise money. And that was the biggest catalyst to me when I was kind of growing my business was I had the ability when I couldn't, my whole, my buyer's list was small, right? And I couldn't wholesale that deal. And I didn't know enough people that wanted to buy. And it was a great deal that I was able to take it down and wholesale it or fix it up myself and resell it as a flip. It allowed me to continue to grow and scale my business. If I had to cancel that contractor or, you know, sell it for a $2,000 assignment fee when I could have made 35 or 40, you know, private money and raising capital was the reason that one of the, one of the big reasons why I was able to scale as fast as I was. I think without it, I would have been in a very different position. So that's definitely one of the big factors that, that I was able to do early on. And uh, I mean, that was, gave me the ability to do even my first, second and, you know, first couple flips when I was getting just, even if it was a little side hustle when I was still flying for the Navy. So before we move to that, how do you finance those, um, those projects, the new construction projects? Do you use banks? Uh, I could use banks. I think I could. I mean, we have a, a deep enough resume now where I think I could go to the banks, uh, go to it and, and, you know, maybe save a couple percentage points, but um, it's the headaches of the banks for me. It's just not worth it for me. So I'd rather pay my buddies, you know, 10% than pay a bank seven. Um, and maybe that changes someday if we're doing a ton of, of houses. But so what we do is uh, with new construction, so a flip, right? If I buy a flip, I'm buying, I'm taking all their money now. Oh, the 100% purchase price and the rehab. I want all those funds because I've already, I'm spending the money on the purchase price at closing, right? But in new construction, it's different, right? You buy that lot. So if you get a lot for 15 grand, but I'm going to build a $150,000 house on that lot. I don't want all 150,000 right now to pay interest on. So what we do is we just do uh, the investors that do uh, our construction loans. They know that they're, they have to submit draws to us. So for example, that 150,000 might be broken up into three draws. And when we hit certain benchmarks, I tell my builder to let me know when he's going to need some money. Then he lets me know, I ping my investor. Okay, I need draw number two now. And I need draw number three now. And I only pay interest on the day they give me the money as opposed to if they gave me all the money up front. So that's how I save a little bit of money uh, on the investor for new construction. It ends up being cheaper than a flip. Okay. So new construction, you got the lot for say 15, maybe you pre-fund a little bit, you put a loan on it for like 30 and then you'll just kind of add some more funds as it goes. And so who keeps track of all that? Like each draw are you, and then are you making monthly payments or is it just a balloon at the end of the project? It's a balloon. At, uh, try to get a balloon at the end of the project. And that's 95% of what we do. Um, I keep track of it that we don't build enough new construction to have somebody else keep track of that right now. So I keep track of it and uh, I'm always talking to the builder anyway. Okay. So you've got kind of those dates and then at the end, somebody's reconciling um, all the interests because it's, it can get a little complicated, right? I got five draws. They were on these dates. So it's this much interest plus then this much yes. step up, this much step up. And you do it all in QuickBooks just on the balance sheet for, for that on the we, loan? We do keep track of that on the QuickBooks balance sheet. Lindsay does that for us. And then um, in terms of the interest carry, we set up a Google sheet that just, we just pop it in and it automatically calculates everything for us. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. So, uh, so okay, that makes sense. And then you, you said for the flips, you're taking all the money up front. So if I got a, call it a $100,000 purchase and a $50,000 rehab, you're, that investor is investing 150,000 from day one. Yeah, and we typically try to borrow like 102 to 105% uh, to build some buffer in there for the holding costs. And I didn't think that, I thought that was silly. <laughs> I heard, I, I, I think it was uh, uh, Stephanie had talked about that, that that was kind of a game changer for their business. And I was like, I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense to me until we had a major cash shortage about three months ago. And I was like, aha, I get it. So we try to borrow the carrying costs as well. And uh, that, that's really helped out a lot. Yeah, we talked about that on a reaching, recent coaching call inside the Seven Figure Group is that cash flow roller coaster that definitely like the flippers are on for sure mm -hmm. because we're constantly like maybe raising 90% and then we're coming out of pocket for the draws and then we're getting the draw reimbursement and then we're bringing private money in at a certain point, but you've got three, four, five houses going on. And then you, you, anytime there's money in the bank, you don't want it to stay in the bank. So you're going to go out and buy an extra house. So you may have been renting, renovating two at a time. And then three months later, you're renovating three at a time. 
And then three months later, you're renovating four at a time. And all you're doing is taking all that equity that you have in the company and just stacking it onto another house. And you're not actually making sure that you have enough cash reserves in the bank or mm. forecasting for any time yeah. that the project sits on the market an extra six weeks or month and or something goes over budget. Or, you know, hey, we didn't get as many properties or as many wholesale deals as we got the last month. So we're not seeing as big of a profit margin as we're used to. So I think all of that financial forecasting is one of the hardest things that we have as you know, flippers and wholesalers and real estate investors is it's like that cash in our bank is almost like a hot potato where we're yeah. like, hey, I don't want to, I don't, I, we need to be out making money on this thing and realizing how to actually calculate the value of your flipping company. So that's one thing we really dug into is how do you know how much equity you have in your company? Because a lot of us are borrowing, some of, some of us are borrowing unsecured money. So it's in the bank. I mean, you could actually be in a negative cash position and not even know it, or you could be in a really healthy cash position if you're really asset rich. But the only way as flippers to determine what we have is by selling everything and not buying anything. Right. And at that point, you're, going, you're out of inventory but you have all this equity that you bring back in. It's like the grocery store, right? The yep. grocery store's got a ton of food on the shelves and they got a lot of money in there, but you know, that food is constantly going in and out, right? They're, they're making revenue. So that's what we are. We're a business making revenue, but the houses is like the stuff on the shelves that we're never going to have an empty grocery store until we shut the doors. So you got to really know where your equity position is to know how safe you are in today's market. And we do a couple of things to help with that. Number one, I mean, the bookkeeper is huge for us, right? Like I'm in, I'm in there at least once or twice a week, just looking at the balance sheet, seeing how we're doing on properties and comparing that against the loan amount, you know, and we've got right now, I think we have 21 properties that we either own or are in some stage of some place in our company, right? Uh, through the funnel. And, um, uh, so the, the, that QuickBooks is huge. So, you know, and I think a lot of business owners, this is the big mistake that I think, and I'm going to talk about this in the presentation, right? We, we separate investor funds and operating capital. They're completely separate in our company. So if, if Bill, if you're going to lend me $100,000 for this flip, there's not a penny of that that goes into our operating account, right? And so I always know when I have those two buckets of money, okay, how are we doing, Right. And, and if I borrow 105%, we should always be doing okay on the, in the investor funds account unless something goes way over budget or is out of whack, um, which can happen, right? We had one that was $45,000 over, which is really what caused a cash flow crunch at one time. So, um, so that's the biggest thing for me, teaching you know, growing business owners is to don't look at the money you have in the bank. That has no bearing on whether you're making money in your company. Zero. Zero. Yep. I totally agree with you. And that, that also includes if you have no money in the bank, mm -hmm. like that's a problem, but it doesn't tell you how much equity and capital you have in your business. So th the biggest problem that I had when I was in that phase and not really understanding it until I kind of peeled back the onion a little bit was understanding that the after repair value, like the net value of my property is not in QuickBooks. So you, when you run a report in QuickBooks, what you see is your balance sheet shows purchase price, closing costs, any, any improvements, but it doesn't show you what the value of like the future value of that house is. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I created this sheet where I have this list of ARVs and then I have a list of the net. So if I sold it tomorrow, you know, at that price, what would I net after real estate commissions and closing costs and any, any uh, concessions that I might have to make a typical transaction and then how much work is left to be complete. So how much more do I have to do? So if I have, if I'm halfway through a $50,000 renovation, the next column will say 25,000. And then I'll, I'll put my balance sheet number on there. And I would do that every month or every quarter to determine how much equity I have in the business. So, and then any unsecured money is on there too. So that was going to come off the bottom. And then if I sold, if I sold out the business right now, sold every house at ARV, you know, that's a little bit conservative with all the extra work that we have to do and all the money we have into it right now. How much equity do I have in the business? And I want to have at least 30%, if not a little bit more. So without that, then I know that I can handle a 30%, 25%, 20% market correction and be okay as long as I can keep up with it, right? If it starts right. dropping too fast, then I start to get concerned. But if I don't have 30% equity in there, now I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm pretty leveraged, I feel, mm -hmm. at least the way that I feel. Now, if I'm, at, if I'm borrowing 105% of the project, then I'm not, because, and it's all secured, 
then I'm not as worried. But it's where the unsecured money comes in that I think a lot of investors really fall apart at. That's where they, they start over leveraging themselves. They'll just start raising money on an unsecured basis and secured. So they got hard money loans on the houses and they're raising unsecured for the gap. And they're not putting a second on there because the hard money lender might not let them. And next thing you know, they get out of control and they mm -hmm. don't know how much money they have in the business. They don't know how much equity is in there. They might have $200,000 in the bank, but actually be over leveraged. So you have to be careful because when we get thirty to $50,000 on these projects back, you know, we're spending money on marketing, we're spending money on people and overhead and all these things. And I think that's where a lot of the people start getting caught up and they don't, might not have that, that analytical mind or that numbers mind and they, they're focused. We talked about it a little bit on, um, with some of the salespeople, they just want to go out there and buy more houses. They don't want to count the pennies. They want somebody else to do that. Like they're going to leave all that in their wake. So um, anyway, I don't, I don't want to uh, scare you guys out there, but I do want you to think about running this like a business. Like this is what, this is what Walmart does. This is what Target's doing. This is what businesses are doing. They're saying, you know, what's our inventory look like? How much money are we making? Are we profitable each quarter, each month? Things like that. So, okay. So you raise 105%. I think you're exactly right. Without that, you've got, you've got closing costs. You've got expenses. You've got holding costs. You've got insurance. You've got all the things that you don't account for. And without that, you're starting to get negative on each property. So you you get 105% on all the flips. You're getting those draws from the new construction. So how are you doing that? Um, I know I, you don't want to give your entire presentation for Flip Hacking Live, I'm sure. But like what, uh, you know, what are some of the ways that you're out there, you know, raising money? And then like, who is it? Who's, who are the people that are loaning you money? Yeah, so the people that are loaning me money, I had a long career as a residential real estate agent. So when I went into, when I went into uh, the investment space, um, I just tapped all those guys that trusted me from helping them buy their house, right? And so um, they started seeing what I was doing on Facebook. I was, I, as my story, as if you've listened to the podcast before, I was transitioning out of retail real estate into investing by hiring agents to replace me and still taking and still making a living off of the sales on the retail business while, while I was getting my feet off the ground on the investment side. And, uh, you know, more and more people just kept saying, hey, you know, how can I be involved in this? And uh, just like you, uh, we've raised almost all of our money off Facebook. And I'm going to teach people kind of how to do that and maybe some tips and tricks to do it a little bit better than even what they see me do or see you do, right? Like I, one real quick one for, for the people listening to the podcast is, um, you know, at the end, I always put you know, another sold property, our investor made $12,413.32. I make, I put it down to the penny, right? Cause I want to, I, I feel like that makes a difference and so it may not, but I feel like it does. But instead of just doing that at the end, somebody who's just starting out and they want to get more and more reach with their Facebook audience is okay. When you post those one month photos, right. And, and you take one of those photos of the house that's got half the siding on it or whatever, and you say, our investor to date has made $1,426.22, right? And you just stack that as the rehab goes on. So if you're just doing your first deal, now you've touched your audience five or six times, letting them know that your investor partners are, are making some money and that hopefully that pings you for, they'll ping you for coffee or whatever, another meetup. How so, awesome would that be like an investor, like a collage at the end of the project where you have like four pictures as the property is getting fixed up with the amount of money that's getting rang up by the mm -hmm. investor. How cool of a post would that be instead of that one at the end where it's like they made this much money. It's like they made $12,532 and 16 cents and it's a, it's a shack, right? And then yeah. it's like demo and then it's halfway through and then it's beautiful and you see it all the way along. People can just go, oh man. I can make 1500 bucks even at that stage. That'd be pretty cool. All right. I'm writing that down. We're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's something that uh, I've been thinking about this presentation for two weeks. So it's just, uh, I was like, man, I got to do that in my own business. But you know, there's sometimes there's, there's obviously better ways for even us that are good at what we do to do it even at a higher level. I'm going to talk about the seven B's B E of uh, raising capital. I'm really excited about it. Like um, I don't want to give them away, but you know, one of them is just to be trustworthy and just kind of talk about the character attributes that you have to have. And, um, you know, depending on what the needs of the room are at the time, uh, I can kind of structure things a little bit differently, but I think it's important that we all get back. You know, the, the big thing is, you know, 
I, I used to say, Bill, I'm gonna treat your money like I treat my money. I know how I treat my money, but you don't, right? You don't know how I treat my money. I might be a spender. You have no idea. You don't live with me every day and see it, right? So I started training that like, I'm gonna treat my money like it's, you, you know, if you treat your money, your lender's money like it's your mom's money or your grandmother's money, whoever you love the most out of those two, that's whose money you have to respect. And, um, you know, it's a huge honor that somebody's going to lend me six figures of their hard-earned dollars on a house. I mean, it still blows my mind today, and I still have a humble spirit about it, right? And you have to stay humble and not get too big for your britches when people lend you money. Because I, I don't know, I mean, those of you that have been around since the recession, a lot of people got clobbered and lost everything, you know, lending money back then. And a lot of people lost the money that they were lending. And so, you know, I, I'm a survivor of that and I want to make sure that I'm treating everybody's money with the highest degree of respect possible. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, you, you know, my story, I've had a transaction recently that I lost some money on a loan mm-hmm. that I did. I had to take the house back and it wasn't a great experience for me. And it's, it, you can really get stung with something like that. And, um, you know, I do some loans in, in the investment world and, and, you know, I want, it's, it's all about the people. It's not, it's not about, not necessarily about the deal. It's about the person. And I've learned that the hard way a few times. So um, the one thing that, that, that always has stood out to me that I think that a lot of new investors really mess up when it comes to raising money in the beginning, you learn this over time, but you're, you're delivering an opportunity for someone to make money. You are not borrowing their money. If you go into an appointment with an investor and anybody, friend, family, somebody who does loans, and you go in there like with the mindset that I'm going to borrow money from this person and I will pay you back. And that's how, because we're so used to that. Let me borrow 20 bucks or let me borrow a hundred dollars or you know, I'm, I'm borrowing money from the bank, you know, and taking a loan. When you think of it like that and you frame your mind and your mindset, you go in there with the wrong attitude, with the wrong confidence, with the wrong thinking, and you're going to walk out of there with no money. And with a, and, or if you do walk out of there with money, they're going to be concerned or they're going to be, they're not going to be confident. If you walk in there and you are offering them an opportunity to invest in your company that can give them a return that they cannot get somewhere else, that's when you come out with a win. And that is the simple mindset shift in my mind that had to happen for me to just go out and raise millions of dollars and, and not, and have no problem doing it because I know that I have the integrity. I know that I'm the kind of guy that they want to invest with. I know that the company is going to be solid and I know that my word means more than anything in this world. And if you can do that and you know, walking out of this meeting, I don't care if you invest with me because I'm going to take it on down the road and I'm going to find someone who wants to make this investment and wants to make money and I'll do it with or without you. If you go in there with that confidence, you'll come out of there with the money every time. Well, I'm telling you, and I'm not going to tell give you the script on the podcast, but I have two sentences. And if people buy a ticket and come out to Flip Hacking Live, you'll get a 100% response rate every time uh, when you're dealing with lenders and, and, and people that have some money. So two sentences. But, All right. Well, you heard it here. But Let's, you got to uh, come to San Diego to hear it. Yeah. And, and you're going to be in San Diego with us and you're bringing your team, right? Yeah. My whole team's coming. So they'll be available for people to kind of ping ideas off of. I'm hoping they can um, get to know some of the people out there as well and, and learn a lot. Not only is Terry's whole team coming, he's also hitting me up to sublet my space at the event so he can have a team meeting after the event. So we have yeah. to make sure that we clean up and we get it all, pre- all ready for Terry and his team. We roll out the red carpet. We get the, the bodyguards out there, set up the hors d'oeuvres, and you guys will be having a nice little breakfast in the nicest room that we have. So Man, that's very we, kind. I think we've got all that sorted out for you guys. So, that's awesome. Um, hey, I'm excited to see it, Terry. Um, I think with that, two sentences that We'll get 100% response rate and Terry's going to guarantee that you get millions of dollars or else he's going to fund it personally, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yep. Okay. We're not going to make that promise on the podcast, but I will say that um, this is, this is definitely a presentation that you want to hear. And the, the, the other side is, I think you heard over this podcast, every single thing, like Terry's been around the block in the real estate space for a long time. Like he, he knows what he's talking about, doing new construction, been renovating houses, been a realtor, really understands the real estate space. And these are the kind of people that are going to be up on stage. These are the kind of people that are going to be at the VIP lunches, at the uh, cocktail hours um, that we're doing. They're going to be around the, the event space. They're willing and ready to talk to you and have conversations about you if you want to dig deeper into some of these things. 
he just said his project management um, ad is going to be there. Maybe he'll bring a couple copies and hand them out. Like these are the kind of things that you're going to get from this event. I mean, the price of a ticket is, uh, I mean, Terry can charge thousands of dollars to sit down with somebody at lunch if he wanted to. There's no doubt about it. I would pay that. So, so guys, you got to come out to, to this event. This is likely the last podcast. It's probably going to come out a couple days before the event. The ticket prices will have gone up for sure. But even at the rate that we have right now, we're probably going to have a couple of seats left. We're, we were down to 12 before this podcast, like 12 seats left for this event until we're sold out. We will be sold out. And I already know the hotel, the hotel prices have already gone up, things like that. So if you're on the fence and you're thinking about it and you want to grab a last minute ticket, plane ticket out there and come see us, grab an Airbnb grab a VRBO, come stay at the hotel if you can, if you can get in and it's not sold out. We, we want to see you really excited about this event. And I'm pumped just because I like to go see my friends, like mm. coming to this event, hanging out with Terry. It's going to be awesome. I, I really love it. And everybody, it's just so nice to come and, and see all you guys. And then also everybody that's, that's there to network, you know, just, I'm going to learn something from somebody who's just getting going or somebody who's, you know, done two or three deals. There's going to be something that I pluck out of this event that somebody asked a question that they asked or something that they're thinking, or, you know, that we spoke at the VIP lunch or dinner. Um, and yeah, you know, I'll also mention that VIP, we have a couple tickets left. We, we said we'll have 50 tickets. I think we've sold just over 40 and that's uh, lunch both days. So Thursday lunch, and that's a question and answer with me. And then Friday lunch, a question and answer with my team, my staff, you heard them, Nate, my COO, my transaction coordinator, my lead intake manager, my sales manager, and my marketing manager. They're going to be answering questions at lunch the second day. And then we, the first night on Thursday night, we have a cocktail reception with hors d'oeuvres and, and drinks and stuff like that, where we're just going to hang out with all the seven and eight figure, six, seven and eight figure members. So all of our mastermind members are going to be there. There's about 150 of them coming and then the 50 VIPs. So it'll be like three to one of people doing high volume deals like Terry and other people that have been on the podcast. And a lot of people that you just don't know that are, that are killing. I had a call with a guy today. They're doing $2.6 million in profit in their company. And Terry would have no idea that they're doing that because they're so under the radar. It's amazing. So um, it's an exciting event. I would love to see you guys out there. Terry, I'm pumped to hear. I know I'm going to be taking notes to try to figure out how to raise a couple million more because I'm about to go start doing some new construction. I'm going to need some more money. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm excited to see everybody. Look, it's the best bargain in real estate investing. You got to get out there. And uh, I mean, if you can't pick up something that'll make you 10, 20 times what your ticket costs, there's something wrong. Yeah. And it's something, there's something for everybody. I mean, I really want to structure this event this year for uh, somebody who's never done a deal and is just thinking about jumping in. And then somebody's doing hundreds of deals a year and wants to get to 200, 300, 400 deals a year. And really just figuring out how we can hit that whole audience uh, at the same time over three days. I think we've got it dialed in now and we're ready to rock. So um, if you guys are ready to come out, uh, go to fliphackinglive.com, grab your tickets in San Diego, October 10th through the 12th, um, downtown, beautiful hotel, the Hilton Bayfront hotel right there on the water. Um, I was looking at some pictures of it today and looking at some footage um, and some of the videos. It's just getting excited. So I can see it. I'll be on a plane in, uh, I don't know, like four or five days. Going, I'm going to go out there a little early and relax and try to get my energy up for this week. So um, Terry, thanks so much for spending uh, tonight with me. It was really, really fun. I, I learned a lot. Um, I think I might have, uh, have to put up an ad in Pensacola right now for a new construction <laughs> guy and see if we can build on those three lots that we split up. So uh, we might as well just jump in. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks so much. Go to fliphackinglive.com, grab your tickets, guys, and I'll see you in, uh, in a couple days in San Diego. So see you. Thank you for listening to the House Flipping HQ podcast with Bill Allen. If you haven't gotten your tickets to Flip Hacking Live to see our guests live on stage sharing all of their systems and secrets, make sure you go to fliphackinglive.com before tickets are sold out. This is an event you can't miss. We'll see you in San Diego.